The situation goes like this. I was in Hawaii. We were doing open-air evangelism in Hawaii, and people go, oh, yeah, right. Yeah, but we were. We were. We were doing, we were doing open-air evangelism in Hawaii, and we were passing out literature in this one beach, and it was really strange. It was a strange uh, encounter. Hawaii is a strange place, I find. Um, I'd take California any day of the week. I really would. Hawaii is really weird. You could have it sunny and it raining at the same time. That's weird to me. And uh, as I'm standing there and we're passing literature out, uh, me and my compatriots, um, I see this guy. I can't believe I see this guy. This guy is so big, it's unbelievable. Seven feet, two inches, legs like little stilts, and he, he's playing volleyball. His name is Wilt Chamberlain. And Wilt Chamberlain, uh, he's the only guy in the history of the NBA that scored 100 points in one game, 1962 against the New York Knicks. And uh, Will Chamberlain averaged that year about 50 points and I don't know how many rebounds. Truly a superstar and a guy, out of, nobody in this league really, not even Walt Bellamy, who had a, and, or some of those guys size 22 foot. I mean, can you imagine this, 6'11"? But uh, I mean, just, just amazing. This, this guy over seven feet, two inches in his uh, non-season play, and then when he would be during the non-season, he was 300 pounds. He was about 275, 280 when he played for the Lakers. Just an incredible, incredible guy. You know, and when I went up to him and, and gave him a piece of literature, he walked right past me like he didn't even see me. I came up to his armpit. I'm six, five and a half, and I came up to the guy's armpit. And uh, so I got in his face a little bit. Not a good thing to do. And uh, so I got up into his face a little bit, and I um, tried to get him to uh, see me and so I can give him a piece of literature. And uh, he got a little upset with me, which is okay, which is okay. And he didn't really want it. But I, I look at that, and I know, knew, knew him and his... his uh, time against uh, Bill Russell against the Sol uh, Boston Celtics. Russell had his number, uh, which his number was 13, but I mean, it was just an amazing thing. But when you talk, and I played high school and college basketball, when you play against a seven-footer and you come up to the guy's armpit, you know, and I had to guard a guy that way. It's like awesome. It really is. You know, you're going, oh boy, how's it going? <laughs> You're like really big, you know, and strong. Uh, I saw, I saw uh, one time I saw Will Chamberlain take John Havlicek, who recently passed away. Uh, he's John Havlicek, 6'5", played for Boston Celtics. Nobody's fool. Nobody, he's just a tough, tough hombre. And uh, they got in a big fight. The, uh, the Celtics and the uh, Lakers got in a big fight. And I saw, I saw Will Chamberlain take, take John Havlicek and throw him over a scoring table because he was in the way. He goes like this, and he boom, and went after Happy Harrison. Just went right after him and uh, just threw him right over the table. And I thought, man, that's really awesome. <laughs> I think John Havlicek thought that too. You know, that's pretty awesome. That is unbelievable. I'd like to talk 
about touching, really touching, something that's really awesome. And that's God. Let's talk about this, okay? And I'd like us to look at a passage of Scripture, I think, that depicts this a little bit. And uh, I'd like us to look at first, or 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1. Uh, God is interested. Uh, I'm not a real fan of Wilt Chamberlain. You might think that, oh, Chris Schroeder's a real fan of Chamberlain. No, I really wasn't. Not ever, really. I don't care what his, his uh, prowess was as a basketball player. But as a person, I don't know if Will Chamberlain was a role model for me. I don't think he's he's gone into eternity. I don't know where he is. He has since passed away. Um, I mean, he's not my God. God is not interested in so much in what you do as to who you are. God is more interested, I think, in who you are. And I really appreciate what Steve had to say in terms of quenching, not, the, not quenching the Spirit of God. God is interested in our relationship with Him. And I think that, you know, what Steve had to say in terms of, of you know, the personal relationship. This is, this is the desire that God has for you with Him. That relationship when we talk to people about Christ, you know, talk to them about Jesus Christ and try to get them to trust Christ as their personal Savior, we say personal. I do. I say personal Savior. The reason is because I want them to know God, to know Him, to really know Him. And uh, as, as I get to know Him, I, I find myself, as I, as I get to know Him, I've been saved since 1971, so what is that, 40-some years? Forty-some years, right? I went to MBI, not MIT. So, you know, I, you know that's, a, that's a few years. And I really appreciate that. And some of you, longer than that. And that, that mystifies me. It's a, it's a mystifying, but I feel like I don't know him. I feel like I really don't know him the way I should know him. But to know him, and this is the thing that's so cool, because... I think that even after the rapture of the church, even after uh, we get into the millennial reign of Christ, even after the, the, end, the end of all that with the great white throne judgment, even going into eternity, the Christian who, has been, who has, knows Jesus as their personal Savior will continue throughout eternity to know him and to get to know him. That's how deep our God is. It's past finding out. We will not know God in totality ever. We will consistently grow in our knowledge of Him all the way through eternity. For us to know God in His totality, we'd have to be God to do that. And we are, we're not God. We're going to continually grow in this. This is the desire. So when I trusted Christ, March 22, 1971, it started that journey into knowing him. And to... I can't, I can't explain or tell you how I feel about that little girl dying. I can't explain it. I wouldn't wish it on. I wouldn't want to imagine it. 
I, the pain, the agony that they're feeling this very moment, the only thing that will give you solace in that time is knowing Him. It's not the cars. It's not the junk that we amass from Amazon. <laughs> it's not any of that. It's knowing Him. Isn't that true? That is the thing that we want. And this is exactly what Peter is going to address. He is going to address this for us and, and really minister to us. And so we're going to look at, look at this. And he's, gonna, he's really going to give us uh, like five keys in this first chapter. He's going to give us five keys to true spiritual growth. And, and this particular epistle that he's writing influ is so influential. It influenced Jude to change his position or his reason for writing the epistle, his epistle, Jude. And he says that, if you can just turn to Jude 1, just for a moment, <laughs> Jude 1, that's really great. <laughs> that is really good, Chris, Jude. If you look at verse 3, he says, Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation. So he wanted to do that. When I, I wanted to do this. I wanted to give this common salvation. I wanted to speak about this salvation that we have that Peter is going to talk to us about. He says, he says to us, the common, it was needful for me to write unto you and to exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. So why did he switch gears? Well, the Spirit of God made him switch gears, but there was an outside reason for that. He had read 2 Peter. And second, Peter influenced him in the issue of heretics, people coming in and trying to destroy your faith. This is really one of the themes of second Peter. And in light, in light of that, we look at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. We see this in, in chapter 3 of second Peter. But it influenced Jude that he would have to change things and he would say that we would earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered. So, okay, let me just say this to all you future heretics out there. Don't mess with God nor his word. You mess with God and his word, he's coming at you with an army. You know, the, the pride and the arrogance of heretics are incredible. Don't mess with God. He's coming after you if you don't rightly divide the word of truth. And this is exactly what he is going to say in the, in the next chapter. He, Paul talks about this in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, he says those who, I'm going to use the Schroeder loose paraphrase, anybody that messes with the church of God, I will mess with you. I will mess with you. So, I mean, we, we take this stuff... Um, I mean, well, God is taking this very seriously because when we talk about orthodox teaching, the orthodox doctrine of the word of God, that is the heart of God. This is what God wants us to know. So don't mess with him. And he's going to tell us this, but he is going to first in this, in this first chapter, he says that in the second, the second chapter, in the third chapter, he's going to say in light Let's, let's defend the faith in light of his second coming. 
But in the first chapter, he is interested in who you are. And what we, what we are as human beings and our relationship with him. Deepening it, actually. Because if you've asked Jesus to be your personal savior, that's fantastic. That is fantastic. And 40-some and years ago when I trusted Christ, do I know now? I know now what I didn't know then, but I know him. I know I was born again. I knew that I had the peace of God. And I was rejoicing in that. And I knew well, a couple of other things, too, that God was going to have to do work in my life to make me like Jesus. In fact, that's the goal of the Christian. And that's the goal of predestination. Predestination, people talk about predestination from this uh, a viewpoint that God before the foundation of the world chose you to go to heaven. That is not predestination. It's used four times in the New Testament. And you want to get the first law of reference on this one. To be conformed to the image of his son. That's the goal of predestination. When you trust Christ as your personal savior, you will be conformed to the image of his son. Being confident of this very thing, that he who hath begun a good work in you will perform it unto the day of Jesus Christ. For it is God who worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. He will work in your life. You will become like him. Isn't this fantastic? You say, do you deserve that? Do you have to work at that? God's going to come this and bring that to fruition. He's going to make that happen. But I want to benefit right now from my relationship with him. In term, and I, I tell you something, there is nothing greater in terms of our own satisfaction than knowing him. I mean, think about that. The God of all comfort, the Bible says. Many of us have been through deep waters and are going through deep waters. Many of us are doing this, Right? The only comfort with which we can receive comfort is Him. It's from Him. So let's look at this just a little bit. Notice what he says here. He says, Simon Peter. And I want to get real theological on you about Simon Peter. Why does he use that in, in, the, in moniker about himself? Because one is, is Jewish and uh, Simeon, you could put it as Simeon, Simon Peter. He, connects the two Simon Peter. Simon is his Hebrew name. Peter is the name that the Lord Jesus gave him. In fact, it's written, this epistle is written by Peter. Peter's the only one named Peter in the New Testament. He is the only, he is, you know, of all the lists of the disciples, of all the list of the disciples, Peter's always first. Is mentioned 210 times in the New Testament. You got Paul mentioned 162 times. You got all the rest of the disciples put together mentioned 143 times. This guy is a dominant dude. Dude's not in the Word of God. Okay, so this guy is a dominant guy. And so you look at this and you say, wow, man. And he calls himself a servant and an apostle. Only one other time in the New Testament does somebody do this. And that's Paul to Titus. Servant and apostle. He doesn't even do it in the first epistle. He does it here, right here. He says, an apostle of Jesus Christ to them that obtain, have obtained like precious faith. 
That's you, that's me, if you know Jesus as your personal Savior. You've obtained like precious faith. This is a general epistle. It's not written to any particular church, though he mentions different places. Cappadocia, Bithynia, etc. He mentions that. But the thing about it is, though he's talking to us in a general way to the church at large about what we are. And this is exactly where he's going. And then he says to us, of like precious faith, with us through the righteousness of God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. So it ain't you, it's all of him. It isn't your righteousness that established your relationship with God. It's his righteousness. It's the exchange life. When I trusted Christ as my personal Savior, I received his righteousness. He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. So he takes my sin. I get his righteousness. It's the exchange life. The Jew understood that clearly when they took the lamb on, the, on Yom Kippur, and the, and the high priest put his hands on that, on that lamb, before he slaughtered the lamb and conferring all the sins of Israel. Jesus is that lamb. He bore your sin in totality. Not you, not your good works, not anything, but Jesus Christ. And he bore it. And then he gives you righteousness. Isn't that fantastic? That's why we're able to be called saints. I was so ticked off when the Catholic Church decanonized Christopher. They did. They decanonized him. I don't know why. I'm St. Christopher. And I ain't giving any medals out. And you're St. Stephen. You're St. Larry. St. Janie. If you know Jesus, you've been set apart for him, because he has given you his righteousness. Wow. <laughs> this is fantastic. I'm getting a little excited about this. And then he, then, he, then he goes, grace and peace be multiplied. Wow. You'll never see these reversed. You'll never see these reversed. Grace first, then peace. Grace, the objective truth. The subjective result is peace. Grace and peace be multiplied. That is fantastic. Be multiplied. Why does he tell us this? Why does he say this? I mean, because you and I both know as we walk this little ball that's walking around on this planet Earth, we go through some really hard things, don't we? We don't know how to live. We don't know how to walk. We don't know how to do anything. Isn't that right? And uh, trust Chris when I say this. The older you get, the more insecure you feel on this earth. You do. Larry is a good friend of mine. He is a, the best chiropractor I have ever known. And I've known a lot of chiropractors. He's the best guy I've ever known. And I've, I'm, I find out yesterday, I was visited with him and he treated me. And I, I man, I love it. I love it. But he also instructs me about these muscles here, three different, you know, and how you do this and you do in, inside and outside and all this kind of stuff. So because, and you want to stretch back here because when you get older, you start hunching and because you, the dominant muscles take over, etc. Right? You do all this kind of stuff. 
I, you know, I find myself, you know, I, I find myself. And he says, you know, that's why those chairs that move you up, right? He says, they're not good for you because they, you don't use these muscles. You know, you just, this kind of thing. And I, Barb and I look at each other because I have one and Barb has one. <laughs> and we inherited them, okay? You believe that? And we did. We did it from her, her Barb's parents who recently passed away. So we, we got them. We inherited them. We're, and the grandkids love it. This kind of thing. But I find myself, as I grow older, and it's Janie's birthday today. She's always older than me. It's Janie's birthday today. I'm not telling you that she's 67. I'm not going to say that. She doesn't look it at all. She looks a lot younger than that. I find myself when I get up, and I, if I've been sitting there, you ever feel like this? And I'm going like this. I find myself more insecure every year in terms of this life. And I think what has to happen is I have to understand that my security has to come not from physicality, but from Jesus. It has to be on him. It has to, I, I looked at Psalm 71 recently and I found myself just almost weeping because God is saying, I'm not finished with you in Psalm 71. When I am old, you will still be there. You will still use me until you take me home. Some in substance of that. And I think to myself, that's exactly, that's the relationship I want with God. I want this, this relationship I have not just to be doctrinal. Doctrinal, the doctrine is going to teach me how to have that relationship with Him. And what is really, in terms of my relationship, the requirements, the helps, the the. the the ideas of how to get in touch and to minister to him as he ministers to me in that relationship. It is fantastic. It is a, it is a, and that's the grace of God. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. And then notice this. I'm so glad that I got permission to go to 11. That was great. <laughs> you know, we look at this, and this is amazing to myself. This is amazing to me. I look at this, and it says, According to his divine power, he hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him that is called, called us, hath called us to glory and virtue. The knowledge of God. To know Him. That's exactly where we want to go. We want to, we want to know Him. His sufficiency is supplied. And then by which we are given unto us exceedingly great and precious promises. That by these you might be partakers of the divine nature. Having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. These are communicable attributes. We don't become God. Some cults you use this verse trying to make us that we become God. And that's not it at all. What happens with this is, is that we become partakers of the divine nature in love, joy, peace. We look at Galatians chapter 5 and we see the fruit of the Spirit. 
And that's the nature of God. And those are, the, those are the attributes that he can communicate to his children. We will never get the omnis, the omniscience, omnipresence. We'll never get those. Never have those. But we will in the sense of who he is, and that it's reflected. It's just not rivers you know, going through us. It is God changing us and being, we being more like his son. Moment to moment. And this is what happens. And the great and precious promises are right here. We look at the words. So, you know, I, I, I like reading books. I like reading Christian books. And one of the things that really bothered me in my early Christian walk was to read other books. That's re- it was a detriment. I read Watchman Nee. I read Andrew Murray. I read all these different guys. You know, I want to ask fantastic. This is unbelievable. And I'm circling... It was like as if I was supplanting the Word of God with Watchman Nee. I was supplanting the Word of God with Andrew Murray. And can we say, you know, can we fill in the blank of the books that we have looked at and say this is how you live the Christian life? This book will tell us how to live the Christian life. It is like, as, as J.B. Phillips, who made a translation in the New Testament, this book... <laughs> this particular book, he said when he translated it, translated it from, uh, from the Greek to the English, he said translating this book was like wiring a house with the power on. This is, this is it. These are the great and precious promises. So let this book, in rightly divided, dominate our lives. Not from a legalistic point of view. No, 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 no. Uh, what God says. No. It's allowing the Word of God to change us and to minister to us because it's the voice of God speaking to us how to do this, how to live the life. And we are changed by the Word of God and our knowledge of Him. And then what what he wants us to do is to apply this. Look at verses 5 and following. And besides this, so we escape the corruption that is in the world through lust. And besides this, give all diligence. Add to your faith virtue or moral excellence. And to your moral excellence, virtue, knowledge and to knowledge, self-control, or temperance, and to self-control, patience, or endurance, and to patience, godliness, and to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, love. That's what I want. That's what I want. That's it. Remember, remember Larry in the, in the old days, 1971, when I first got saved, and they'll know we are Christians by his love, by it. Remember that? And then we all sing with the guitars, and we're around the fire. We have no idea, and we, we walk away wanting to kill somebody, you know? <laughs> and they'll know we are Christians by our love. Well, that certainly is true. Brotherly love is certainly one of the fruit of the spirits of loving another saint. That is certainly true, but it's not going to happen. I mean, we look at this, and it's in its virtue or moral excellence, knowledge, knowledge, self-control, to self-control, more uh, endurance or patience, godliness, and brotherly kindness, 
to brotherly kindness, love. Wow. This is what I want as a Christian. This is, this is the Christian life. This is exactly what I want. Philippians 2 tells me about this. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. This is what I want. I want that in my life. I want God, I want to love my brother, not hate my brother or have be at aught with my brother. This is exactly what Steve was talking about. When you quench the Spirit of God, when you quench the Spirit of God, you're not in love with your brothers. In fact, you know what? This is the, this is the weird thing. You get, you don't want to be near them. That's true. You can always tell when somebody is not in love with God. A Christian's not in love with the Lord. You know why? Because they don't like being with people who are. And that's a big divisive issue. I'm going to go, and no, I don't want to be over here. No way. You know, be, why? Well, you, can give, you can give all the excuses you want. But the real excuse is something's wrong with you. And it's generally your relationship with him with the Lord Jesus. And then you'll take it out on others. We want this. This is what you signed up for. When you trusted Christ as your personal Savior, this is what you wanted. You wanted that acceptance. You look at this in Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. I, I love this passage because it just creams me. It does. It creams me. You know, out your amen, right? It's either an ouch or an amen, you know, or both. You know, if there be there any, if there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, and the Greek construction is so beautiful, you might might just say, and there is, after each section, and there is, and there is, and there is. If there be any comfort or consolation in Christ, and there is, if any comfort of love, and there is, if any fellowship of the Spirit, and there is, if any tender mercies and compassions, and there are, fulfill ye my joy, that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord and of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or empty glory, vain glory, but in lowliness of mind. Let each esteem others better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man on the things of others. This is, Peter is reflecting this. When he says to us about adding to the self-control, and then he says, for these things in verse 8 of chapter 1 of Second Peter, for if these things be in you and abound, they make you that you neither be, shall be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. He doesn't say you made so much money per year. He doesn't say that you, uh, you, know, you drive this certain car. He is interested in who you are. And he is driving us. And this is the guy. This is the guy who said, I'll follow you, Lord. And denied him three times. And went out and wept bitterly. Went out and wept bitterly because of the incredible. And this is the guy that was rebuked to his face by Paul for being legalistic. In the epistle to the Galatians. This is the guy who went through the hard knocks. And he is telling us that if you focus on him and you seek him with everything that you have, 
you will know him. Fantastic. Fantastic. He's giving us, this, the Spirit is giving us this, and he says, if you know, you'll know the knowledge of God. But then this, here's the killer. Here's the killer. But if you lack these things, but he that lacks these things is blind and cannot see afar off and hath forgotten that he has been purged from his old sins. You know what the problem is with us sometimes? We oftentimes will look at, will look at other Christians and we will find fault with them. You know why? Because you forgot that you've been forgiven. <laughs> you think that that other person, that other Christian is not, oh, that person, really bad Christian. Well, look at that person, what they did. They're the, this sin and that sin and all that kind of sin. Understand something here. You have been forgiven of incredible. Sin is absolutely horrible in the mind and heart of God. And you've been forgiven of that. And you forgot that. Because, listen, when you, when you focus on Jesus Christ, you cannot focus on you. When you focus on His forgiveness, you're not fo focusing on, on you. You're focusing on Him and who He is and what He's done for us. And you're humbled by that. When we come to the breaking bread, this do this in remembrance of me, it's a humbling, it's a very humbling meeting. It really is because I, I look at me and I go, oh, you're disgusting. And yet you have looked at me, Lord, and sent your son to die for me, to pay the penalty that I deserve to pay. And I cannot afford that theology to another brother or sister? I forgot it. I just plain forget it. That's what he is telling us. If you, if you lack those things, you have forgotten that you have been purged. You have been purged. And then he tells us this. He, he, wow. Wherefore, rather, brethren. Okay, so if you forget this, rather than that, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. Make sure you're born again. For if you do those things, you will never fall. You will never fall. For so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom. See the, see the eschatological ramifications of this? See that the future's coming right here? Notice what he says here. You will make entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Uh, you know, Janie, you're 67 years of age. I'm going to be 67 in July. You're older than me. Yeah, and we, we, we banter back and forth ever since I met her, met her years ago, years and years and years ago. We go back and forth on this. With some of the dearest friends I've ever had are the Mellingers. And so, you know, we've gone back and forth on this kind of thing. And I just think to myself, you know, but you know what, dear sister, whenever he takes us home, that home is going to certainly last longer than what I spent on this earth. 
forever. And he shall reign forever and ever. I like it when the choir really kicks in. <laughs> but the choir of heaven really is kicking in when we see him face to face. And that passage, Steve, that you gave us on the second, 1 Thessalonians 4.13, we do not want to be ignorant. We want to constantly remind ourselves that he's coming again. And we're going to spend so much time with him. We might as well... Let him do his work in our lives right now. And you know, in that entrance that we will have, you know, it's a cool Greek word. It's isodis. Isodis. That's the Greek word. Isn't that weird? Notice verse 11, would you? Notice verse 11. Because he, Peter, excuse me, verse 15, verse 11 it's Isidus. And then he talks about Peter as saying, Moreover, I will, I will endeavor that you may be able after my decease. Guess what word that is? Exodus. In the Greek. So he is talking about the entrance into the kingdom of God. The Isidus going into Coming out of this present body, the exodus. I'm going out from here and I'm going to him. And that's all of us who know him. Every believer will be welcomed by the Savior. I always think of that, that, that song. And Barb once has sung at her funeral. She said this to me years ago. I get choked up about it. Welcome home, children. And I forget all the words. To, da, 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 da. Welcome home, children. Welcome home, children. I said this into the kingdom of God. That's our lot. We're just passing through. It's a short time. Talk to the geezers, okay? Talk to the geezers. You know, Fran, we can talk to the, she's 95, you know, okay, 1924 she was born, right, isn't that right, Fran? But we're just passing through, she is going to, she will tell you what I will tell you, that it goes by so fast, it's unbelievable. So you young people, thinking that you have all the time in the world, you don't. Talk to that family who that eight-year-old went to be with Jesus. Eight. Or 80. It doesn't matter. Isidus into the kingdom. The entrance into the kingdom. This is our God. This is who we preach about. We talk to people about Jesus Christ. What an easy sell that is. We talk about, and that's why they call it the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, because what a, what a tremendous thing he has done for us. He has worked for us, and he has done this, and he is telling us we have this entrance. Well, I want to keep going. I really do. But he tells us this, and, and he... And, 
he is recalling the Mount Transfiguration in verses 15 and through 18. He talks about this. And he talks about, I heard when the Father said, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. I heard that voice from heaven, the Holy Mount. I heard this. And I heard when Mary, I, when uh, Moses and Elijah talked to the Lord Jesus about his departure, his decease how the way he was going to redeem mankind. And then he goes on and he says, we have a more sure word of prophecy. I love it. I love this hymn. Jesus loves me. This I know. Why? We have a more sure word of prophecy for the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong. They are weak, but he is strong. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Boil it all down. It's not going to care who you look like or what you look like or how you dressed and all that. It's knowing him. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection. It's who you are. I say, to, I say in, in, in light of all that we that Peter is talking to us about, I say that we, maybe we, we say to him and ask him, and what do you think about this? Good idea? We say to him, right now, right this very moment, Lord, I want that relationship with you. I want to deepen it with you. I got to tell you something. The more you get to know me, the less you'll like me. That's true. The more you get to know Chris Schroeder, you go, guy's a weirdo. And you wouldn't be, you'd be, that's right, Steve is getting to know me. (laughs) Getting to know you, getting to hate everything about you. Yeah, that's true. I want to tell you, though, something. The more you get to know him, you will never be disappointed. The more you'll want to know him. Isn't that true? Father, I just pray that you'd help us to do this. We as people are very frail. Very selfish. Very all those things. We don't want to quench the spirit. We don't want to do that. But following our own dictates and the selfishness of our own life. When we follow those, it's, it's death. To walk in the flesh is death. But to walk in the spirit is life and peace. <sighs> we want this, Lord. So forgive us when we have been selfish and we ask you that you, oh God, would help us to get to know you better. Lord, hear us. In Jesus' name, amen.